Welcome to The House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Thanks very much, uh, Oliver. Appreciate that. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, As Oliver mentioned, my name is Nick, and I serve on the pastor's council here at the house. Um, One of my passions is missions, and I'm excited to introduce one of the missions committee or families currently sponsored by and supported by our church today. Um, Bit of background, I've been involved in missions for the past 16 years directly as the CEO of a mission organization. Um, The Armitage family live in Bratislava, Slovakia, with their three daughters who are here today as well. We welcome them as well, Uh, Mia, Olivia, and Stella. Um, They've been working in Europe since 2002 um, in many areas of ministry, including leadership development, um, church planting, education, organizational leadership, and in uh, social justice initiatives. Sheldon is currently the uh, Network Services Director for the European Freedom Network, which combats human trafficking, and commercial exploitation in Europe. Anna serves as an associate pastor at the City Church in Bratislava. She oversees family ministries and pastoral care at the church. Together, Anna and Sheldon also give leadership to the young adults ministry called Exit, um, reaching students and young professionals around Slovakia. Please join me in welcoming uh, them to our service today. We're excited to hear what God has laid on their hearts for us this morning. Welcome, Sheldon and Anna. There you go. Thank you very much. It is good to be back. It's been a, it's been a few years. Some stuff has happened in the last couple of years, I guess. The world shut down. And, but no, it is very, really, really good to be back here at the house. Um, my family is back there. Wave family, there you go. Um, but yes, first off, just wanted to say um, a big, big, big thank you to you as a church. You have been with us for many, many, many years, and you've been very generous in your support and in your love to us, and um, we know that there is a great church here in Kelowna that is not only supporting us personally as a family, but also the work that we are doing. Um, just want to show you a couple things of, about what's been happening recently in our neck of the woods. Um, as you know, Slovakia is right in Central Europe, and some stuff has been happening in Europe over the last little bit. But uh, we'll go to the next, next slide here. Um, as Nick mentioned, there are a few things that we're involved in primarily. The first one is we are um, workers with Mission Global, which is the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada's Organization for Global Missions. So we've been working with them since uh, 2006, but we were on the field before that in 2002, as Nick mentioned. Um, then EFN is the, um, the largest um, evangelical anti-trafficking uh, network in Europe. And so we are combating human trafficking and commercial and sexual exploitation all across Europe uh, through a number of different organizations, charities, churches who want to work on the problem 
together. And so my role in leadership is to help our organizations and our individuals network together because this is a problem that no one organization, no one person, no one superhero can stop. And so we need everyone working together from Portugal to Ukraine, from Finland to Greece, um, people working right on the streets with direct intervention, people working in schools, bringing awareness, people starting businesses to help um, help people find meaningful work, people working in the halls of justice and government. So it's a multifaceted approach. And the kingdom of God is at work in this area. So thank you for supporting us in that as well. Um, and then Anna is the associate pastor at City Church, which is a large uh, Slovak-speaking church in the city of Bratislava. And so um, she is on the pastoral staff as well as speaks there. I speak from time to time, and we're also both on the leadership board. Now, the last, uh, last few months have been a little different for us, though, and so we'll skip ahead. Um, as, you, as you've probably heard on the news, um, we, we, have a, we have a war going on in our backyard. And so come February, February was kind of a tough month for us. Um, four of us got COVID in the family. Um, our daughter Livia, her basketball coach, passed away for, after a battle uh, with prostate cancer. A few days later, on the 14th of February, Anna's mom passed away after a long bout with Alzheimer's. Um, and then about 10 days later, war broke out. So as you can imagine, it was a bit of a stressful month. But when the war broke out, um, we, had to, we had to respond. As a church, we decided to respond, so we'll go to the next slide here. And so this is some of the work that um, you have been helping us with as a church. So go to the next one as well. Um, we had to help people leave Ukraine. I'm sure you saw in the news um, just the overwhelming response of the public driving to the borders, picking up refugees who were fleeing. The borders of all the surrounding countries opened up. And so we had different contacts and friends in Ukraine from years of working there. And so one of the things that we helped do was to coordinate um, uh, pickups and bringing uh, multiple people out of Ukraine into safety. But you can imagine the trauma that is when you have to leave your husband and your father behind because anyone over the age of 18 who was male could not leave the country. And so we encountered multiple families who were literally ripped apart by the war um, and coming into safety. And so that's one of the things as a church that we were helping to coordinate. The next thing here. Um, one of the biggest needs, though, was providing safety for, for refugees coming into our country. Uh, Slovakia had about a half a million refugees uh, come in over the last few months. We are a country of five million, so that's 10% of our population uh, swelled with refugees. Not all of them stayed. Some moved on to different countries, but for those who did stay, they needed housing. They needed a safe place to be. And so as a church, we were able to network with a Ukrainian network of young adults who were in our city studying and working and been there for years. And when the war broke out, they instantly mobilized together. And as a church, we said, we're going to support you. We're going to partner with you. We don't need to lead this. We're going to help you. And so they were gifted a, a rundown derelict house, which we were able to furnish. We were able to help clean up. And at any given time, there's about 30 to 40 refugees and families living in this house. And just, just being able to take a deep breath, just being able to have a safe place to regroup and figure out what's going to happen next. All right. 
Um, the biggest thing, though, has been aid, aid going back into Ukraine. So uh, people have been coming out, but aid needed to go back in. And so uh, as a church, we were able to mobilize and um, put together a 1,000 welcome packs for refugees coming in and then regular ongoing um, truckloads of food and mattresses and supplies and just things to help people survive uh, during that time. And even in the midst of all the grieving that we were doing because of loss of Anna's mom, Anna was thrust into that role as being the, the main coordinator for the church. And so um, taking care of that and just helping get the church mobilized to do what we needed to do. So let's go to the next one here. As you can see, these are just some of the different truckloads that went back and forth to the borders. Okay. Some more stuff there. Ikea became our best friend, um, as did a store that's similar to Costco. And then the last thing that we really got to do, and this was more on a small scale, but still a really meaningful thing, was engaging with refugee families. So imagine you've been uprooted, you've, been, you've had to flee to a country where they don't speak your language, um, your family's been separated, and so one of the things you just want to do is just feel normal, and you just want to feel loved and... Um, taken care of. And so we just had some opportunities to do some small little things like trips to the zoo. Um, one family we really connected with, um, one of the daughters was celebrating a birthday. Can you imagine that, right? Celebrating your birthday when your dad's fighting a war. You don't know if you're going to see, um, see them again. And so we were just able to go to like a trampoline park. You know, like imagine that, the kingdom of God at a, at a trampoline park. Um, but all of this was just the, the small little things that we as a church had to do because we were on the front lines. We didn't plan for any of this. We didn't prepare for any of this. We've not been trained in any of this. But you just respond to the need when it comes, right? But you as a church um, have been generously supporting us in this work. So this is your work as well. This is your work. Even though you're not right in the neighborhood of all this conflict, you are with us. And we know that, and we feel that, and we know that we can turn to you and ask you for help. So we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for, um, for doing the, the, the kingdom work of peacemaking in, in Slovakia. And continue to pray. I know it's not front page news anymore, but it's still happening. The war is still going on. Lives are still being destroyed. Families are still being separated. Pray for justice. Pray that this ends in a truly peaceful way. Pray for the rebuilding that's going to have to happen. That's the next big task ahead of us. How do you help rebuild after a conflict and after homes and lives have been destroyed? And so we, we need you. We need you to pray with us to continue to support that work. And hopefully we'll have good stories to tell over the next uh, couple of years. So thank you uh, on behalf of us as a family and our church in uh, Slovakia. We do really, really appreciate all that you are doing uh, through us. So I'm, I'm going to share a little, um, a, little, a little story. Let's call it a story. Because probably when you heard, oh, we got a missionary. Oh, my gosh. We got to hear another mission sermon about places we don't know about and doing things that we don't really care about. And... Uh, I've been there, okay, so if you don't think that, I've thought that before. But this is not going to be a mission sermon. This is going to be a story, okay? Let's call it a story um, because our lives are a story and missions is the story of God. But if you tune out, if you decide to tune out, um, here's the main point I want you to get, okay? The main point is this, that God is gracious to us 
even when we are at our worst, okay? Because God wants to be gracious through us to a lost world. So God is gracious to us even when we're at our worst because he wants to be gracious through us to a lost world. Now, how many of you like award shows? Nobody. Okay, good. This is going to really land well. Um, all right. I like award shows. You know, awards, they celebrate the best of humanity. You know, the Nobel Prize, peace and chemistry and literature and economics. You know, the very best of humanity. The Oscars, right? The best in film and acting and things like that. So we got lots of award shows that celebrate the best of the best. Um, but we also have awards that celebrate the worst of the worst. Um, you can Google it, but there's the Darwin Awards that kind of celebrate people taking themselves out of the gene pool. Um, there's also the Golden Raspberries that celebrate the very, very worst in film, the worst actors. So we have awards for the best, for the worst. Because I'm a missionary, I thought, why don't we have a missionary award, right? Where's the missionary awards out there for the best missionary? So I, I created that. This is the, the missional award, biblical category, okay? biblical category. And so the best missionary, if we were to present the award today, the best missionary ever would be the Apostle Paul, right? Right? Yeah. The book of Acts, right? Just read the book of Acts. You know, most miles traveled, you know, most churches planted, most beatings, most, you know, shipwrecks. He's got it all. He's got all the stats. Best ever. You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. You know, this guy, best missionary ever. Someone for all of us to aspire to. But we also have the worst, right? We got, if we're going to do the best, got to do the worst. It's only fair. So worst ever missionary in a biblical category is Jonah. Jonah, that's right. We got some Jonah fans here. All right. Now, if, if you don't know who Jonah is, he's part of the Minor Prophets, which is 12 books in the Old Testament, kind of probably what you flip through to get to the Gospels. But he's there, okay? And it's a four-chapter book, so you can read it at home tonight while you're enjoying the 40-degree weather. It's, it's, it's a real good one. But why is Jonah the worst? Why is he the worst? Well, we know historically that he was a prophet to one of the worst kings of Israel, Jeroboam II, okay? He led Israel into idolatry and just some, just some awful, nasty stuff. And Jonah was his prophet, his court prophet. And we know from the book of 2 Kings that Jonah even prophesied to Jeroboam, you should go out and take that land because God is with you and you will ca capture that land. And you know what? He does. Jeroboam does. So he's kind of the court prophet to this bad king. But then God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to go this way. Um, and Jonah goes the absolute opposite direction. In fact, we know from chapter one that it says, Jonah says, I'm going to Tarshish, which was really a historical place, but it was also an idiom for, the, for that day of, I'm going just the absolute opposite direction. It's like, you know, Mom, you want me to come help clean the garden this week? I'm going to Timbuktu. You know, I'd rather go anywhere else than where I'm supposed to go. So he does that. He gets on a cruise ship. You know, he goes for a cruise to Tarshish, and he goes down to the bottom of the boat. He sleeps, and while he's sleeping, this big storm hits the boat. He's sleeping through the storm. Everybody else is trying to save the boat, save their lives, calling out to Baal and all the different gods, and Jonah's taking a nap. And the captain has to come up and say, get up, get up, we're going to die. How can you sleep at a time like this? 
you know, Jonah wanders up to the deck, oh yeah, this is pretty bad, and then, oh yeah, and by the way, this is my fault, you're all in danger because of me, you know, um, and everyone's like, well, what should we do? What are we supposed to do? Jonah's like, fine, 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 just throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, this all goes, this all goes away. So basically, Jonah says, you know, if you murder me, hey, everything's fine. What a great missionary, right? Um, which we think that's a really good thing, because when they do throw him overboard, the storm subsides, right? But God never asked for that, right? God never said, hey, if you throw Jonah overboard. Jonah, Jonah's basically saying, listen, I would rather drown in the sea than go to Nineveh. So just throw me overboard, get this over with, we're done. But... God is gracious to us when we're at our worst, right? And what happens in the story, a big fish or a whale or something swallows up Jonah. And that's the end of chapter one. So worst missionary ever. So we get to chapter two, and there's this lovely prayer that Jonah prays, this, this lovely almost psalm that he prays while he's in the belly of this fish. And we look at that and think, oh, that's so beautiful. Well, but if you actually read the psalm, and you will today in 40-degree weather, I'm sure. He, he, he doesn't confess. He never says, God, I was wrong. He never repents. God, I'll go to Nineveh. God, I'll do what you want. What he says is, God, I am in such bad shape right now. I'm in so, so much trouble right now that if you save me, I will worship you. Any of us ever prayed that before? God, if you get me out of this situation, I will worship you. I will dedicate my life to everything. I will do children's ministry. You know, anything. If you just get me out of this situation. And that's what Jonah, Jonah does in chapter 2. And so, because God is gracious to us when we're at our worst, he, you know, gets the fish to puke Jonah up on the, on the beach. Jonah's like, I'm saved and I stink. But it's okay because I'm alive. Then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, once again, God is gracious to us when we're at our worst. And says, God calls Jonah again, gives him a second chance. This time, Jonah goes. He's like, all right, fine, I'm going to Nineveh, but only because I want to, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then he does the absolute bare minimum. Like, if you read Jonah's sermon to the people of Nineveh, in Hebrew, it's five words long. He just goes through... Hey, Nineveh, guess what? You're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Peace. You know, like, that's it. He, he goes around, does the absolute bare minimum that he needs to do. There's no solution. There's no, hey, turn to God and God will save you. It's just, sorry, guys, time's up. You're going to be destroyed. See you later. So Jonah disobeys. He does the bare minimum. You know, he is not the best missionary ever. He is the worst. He's uncaring. He's lazy. But guess what? There's more. There's absolutely more. And we get to chapter 4. And chapter 4 starts like this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Now, we got to pause here and say, what was Jonah angry about? What seemed very wrong to Jonah? Well, you rewind a little bit into chapter 3, and we see Jonah doing the bare minimum. Hey, you know, you're going to be destroyed. Sorry, guys. What happens? The Ninevites hear this, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be destroyed. This is not good news. What should we do? And it says, from the ground, you know, grassroots level up, the whole city says, we need to repent. 
We need to stop what we're doing. We need to turn to God. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. Even the king himself, when he hears this, is like, you know, the king of Assyria, the most powerful man in the world, says, oh my goodness, we're going to be destroyed. All right, listen, we're fasting. Everybody, you're fasting. You're fasting. Cows, you're fasting. Literally, he tells the cows they have to fast. Cows are like, what did I do? And they have to fast. Everybody's fasting. And the king of Nineveh says, who knows? Maybe God will relent. Revival breaks out in Nineveh, basically. Jonah does one day's worth of work, bare minimum, and he has 100% success. Like in missions, that would be amazing. We'd be like, you get the best missionary award. But he doesn't. He's not the best. He's the worst. Because he says, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became very angry at this, that God actually saved the Ninevites. Let that sink in. So this is what Jonah says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew... Okay, here's the, here's the kicker. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending cal- calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is why Jonah is the absolute world's worst missionary. I don't want to live in a world, God, where you love my enemies, where you actually bless the people that I hate. I knew, God, that you were going to do this. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. That's why I wanted to go to Timbuktu, because I did not want to see you save the Ninevites, because I hate them. I absolutely hate them. See, Jonah has the right theology about God. He said, I knew you were gracious and compassionate. I knew you were slow in anger. I knew all this stuff. But he's not acting like God, is he? He knows the right stuff, but, he, but that doesn't transform his heart or his actions. And you read the rest of chapter 4, it doesn't get any better. God just asks him questions. And Jonah gets even more angry, and he has this little plant that's over his head that keeps him cool while he's watching to see if the city's going to be destroyed. And the book of Jonah says, Jonah was very happy about the plant. He was happy about a plant, but not about God doing something miraculous. And then the plant dies, and then Jonah gets really upset again. Oh, my plant is dead. And God's like, do you have a right to be angry about a dead plant when there's over 125,000 people in that city below that doesn't know its right hand from its left hand, that doesn't know good from evil. Do you have a right? Should I not be concerned, Jonah, about this great city? And the book of Jonah ends with a question. It ends with that question. Jonah, should I not be concerned about this great city? And so I just want to end with three simple questions. Um, I, I don't have many conclusions. I just have questions after reading Jonah. And the first one is this. Who is my Nineveh? Right? Who would I rather see judged and perished than loved, saved, and blessed? Now, maybe for some of you, somebody instantly came to your mind. I don't know. But for me, like, because of the last few months, it's, it's Russia. Like, I'd rather see destruction and, and, you know, bad things happen there because of what has gone on. And don't get me wrong, I want justice to come. I want, you know, true reconciliation and peace. But right now, my my heart has turned towards them as Jonas did towards Nineveh. 
But it doesn't need to be a whole nation. It could be a political group you disagree with. It could be a social group that you don't interact with. It could be your neighbor who plays really bad 80s music. No, there's no such thing as bad 80s music. Bad 2000s music, uh, late at night. Um, you know, it could be anybody. It could be that person who got the promotion instead of you at work, and they, now they manage you. You know, who, do you, who would you rather see judged and, you know, just step on, uh, you know, a bunch of Legos instead of God blessing them and causing good things to happen into their lives? Who would you rather run away from God than follow Jesus into mission? That's a question we need to answer or we need to wrestle with. Number two, where is there a disconnect between my head and my heart? You know, what do I believe about God but refuse to live out in my daily actions? You know, right beliefs are only right when they're lived out of a cross-shaped life, right? We can believe God is love, but unless we live that, that out in sacrificial, loving ways to those around us, we really don't believe it. We, we kind of put it in our heads and keep it as useful information. But the Christian faith, following Jesus, is a whole life transformation, it's a whole life transformation. And in the current climate that we've come out of the last number of years of just um, polarization and tension and, and, and relational splits, people need to see a church in action that really believes in reconciliation, that really believes in compassion and empathy and grace. And we don't just say we do or sing that we do. There can't be that disconnect between our, our head and our heart. And then the final question, the one that... I think we wrestle with our whole lives, is what are we willing to give our life for? What makes us so angry that we want to die? Is it outrage and entitlement for, or is it for the good of others? Can we imagine living in a world where others are blessed, but it costs us everything? It costs us our, our time, our comfort, our, our money. You know, we all give our lives to something. You will give your life for something. And Jesus calls us in mission here in Kelowna, in Vancouver, in Slovakia, to take up our cross, to lose our life, to follow him, to get really angry about injustice, to get really angry when people aren't being loved, to get really angry when, when immigrants are treated poorly, to get really angry about abuse that's happening around us, to get really angry about that, but then to do something about it through the power of the Spirit, through the love of Christ, through the, through the church, and churches working together to say, here is how God's kingdom actually works. Here's what peacemaking looks like. So, band, I'm supposed to tell you to come up, so if the band can come up, that would be great. And so God's question, though, to Jonah... I think is, is the takeaway for us today. God says, should I not be concerned, Jonah, about this great city? You're mad about a plant. You're mad that I made you come on this little trip to Nineveh. You're mad because people you don't like are being blessed right now. But Jonah, I created all of this. Should I not be concerned about my creation? Should I not be concerned about what is happening in the world right now? Should we not be concerned, church, 
about the lost, about the weak, about the poor, about how creation is being uh, mishandled, about how injustice is being uh, perpetrated? Should we not be concerned about the least of these? But should we also not be concerned about our enemy? the ones who I don't agree with, the ones who may ridicule and persecute us, but for whom Christ also died, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy as well. So we don't have a choice. And so that's what I want to leave you with. Um, read the book of Jonah for yourself. Maybe you'll come to other conclusions. But let's really be that church here and around the world that is willing to go wherever we need to so that people we don't necessarily agree with, don't necessarily like, can actually encounter a loving, gracious, transformational God. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray and then hand it over to the worship team. Lord, thank you for this reminder that we don't get it right all the time. But thank you, Lord, for second chances. Thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to us, even when we're at our worst, because you want to be gracious to the world around us. And so I pray for House Church, Lord, as they are situated really well here in Kelowna, Lord, that they would be concerned about this great city. Lord, that they would be concerned and be willing to do whatever it takes and go wherever they need to go in order to see people transformed by the love, the grace, and the power of your Son. Thank you for the generosity and mission all around the world. Thank you for the new things you're doing in this season for them. We pray for increase, Lord. Increase for them. In Jesus' name, amen.